There was a scene in um, the book of Romans. I was doing a Bible study one day, and I'm in Romans chapter 9, and I'm in a specific verse. And I would like to say it intrigued me, but honestly, it shocked me. In this scene, the Apostle Paul reveals two words, and they're on the screen. Not all. And it kind of shocked me how clear that scene was. Now, that verse caused me, and I'm convinced that's how the Holy Spirit works in my own heart, that, that verse caused me to write what are going to be a two-part sermon series starting today, not all, and next week will be, it, it's not too late. So as you can see by the picture, you can kind of figure out where this is going today. The Apostle Paul reveals that, that not all are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's like out in front of the gate, not all. Well, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a shocking moment. Now, if you live in this current culture, we, we like to live in a culture that pretty much believes that everybody goes to heaven, right? Everybody. I've never been to a funeral home once that that person wasn't in a better place. Never have I ever seen anybody say, well, that one didn't make it. Why? Because we have this, this idea, and I, I get it, I get it, that everyone goes to heaven, but then you have to deal with the truth. What's interesting is once I started studying the New Living Translation, the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, all of them say the same two words. It's not like there's a translation issue in this subject. So here we go. This is the verse that started this. Romans 9 verse 6. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? What, what promise? That I'm going to make a covenant with you to save you. Has God failed to get Israel saved? No. For not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Not all of Israel is Israel. Let me say that clearly. What that verse says to me is not all of Israel is Israel. Not all of Israel is of Jacob, the other name for Israel. Claiming to be of Israel, which is to be from the seed or the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, doesn't necessarily make you of Israel. Now, are, are you getting that part? The whole concept of, of Israel means that you came out of Israel. Israel's other name is Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. So the idea that not all of Israel is Israel, or not all who are born of the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people called Israel means that you're not all the children of the promise. Claiming, look, here, here's the foundation, claiming to be a child of the promise doesn't necessarily make you a child of the promise. God makes this statement clear for Israel, the Jewish people, but what about the church? 
What about the church? One thing has become very clear to me throughout this past 25 years when I've been in personal Bible study, very deep personal Bible study, is this. God used the people of Israel to reveal His glory, His truth, His purpose in the Old Testament. So how, was God, how would you ever know who God was in the Old Testament? Through Israel, through the Jewish people. He revealed His glory, His power, His purpose, everything. Through the Jewish people, He revealed Himself to the world. That was His plan. But what about now? Now, since the time of Jesus Christ, God has done what? He has used the church to reveal His glory, His truth, and His purpose. That's why He says, you're the light of the world. Well, actually, He's the light, but He's the light in us that shines into the world, revealing who He is to the world in this church age. The New Testament, or the New Covenant, which is what the word testament means, clearly reveals what I just read to you. Not all Israel will be saved. Even though they are the very ones that God revealed Himself to and through. Are you getting it? In the New Testament, I just read a verse, and I'm going to show you it's not just one verse, where God clearly communicates that all of Israel isn't going to be saved. Even though they were the very ones through which He revealed Himself to and revealed Himself through so the world would know Him. This salvation of God does not come from a natural birth, which is how many of Israel have connected themselves to Abraham through a human lineage. I'm Jewish, for example, I'm Jewish because my father was Jewish or my lineage is Jewish. One thing becomes very clear, this, this of Israel from God's perspective, it's not about your natural birth, your human lineage, your family connection. The Apostle John makes that clear, that natural birth cannot save us. On the last day, what's going to save us? Your natural birth, your family lineage? No, it's not going to work. How do I know that? In John chapter 1, verse 10, this is in the New Testament. John says, He, Jesus, came into the very world He created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. Now, now, Jesus is Jewish, right? He came to his own people, which means he came to the Jewish people. And even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become what God wanted Israel to become. To all who received him, he gives the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not from a physical birth, which tells you what? The physical birth won't get you through that gate. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that supernaturally comes from God. Natural birth into the lineage of Abraham doesn't make you a child of the promise. It won't save you on the last day. Natural birth, your family tree, your daddy's 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 daddy won't get you into heaven. That's why Jesus says we must be born again. To become a child of the promise, we must be born again. Why? Because let's go back to that verse. No, 
For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. This truth was declared by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. What truth? Not all. It's declared by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, and it's repeated and quoted by the apostle Paul in the New Testament. In Romans 9, 27, here's the apostle Paul writing to the Gentile church. And concerning Israel, Isaiah, the prophet, cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, that's a lot of people. Only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. Paul wrote that quoting Isaiah in the church age. That not Israel, not all of Israel is going to be saved. Not all are going to make it. Only a remnant are going to make it. And by the way, that's the same chapter, what I just read, that's the same chapter where he says, not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Same chapter. Now, some of you might wonder why I make such a big deal about this in a Gentile church today. Why would I, why would I preach a sermon about the fact that not all of Israel is Israel? Not all the Jewish people are going to make it into the promised land called heaven. Now, why would I bring that up here today? Here's why. If not all of Israel is truly members of Abraham's family, what about the church? That's why that verse shocks me. It sobers me. What is it that makes the people members of Abraham's family? If it's not your birth lineage, your natural birth, if it's not that, then what is it that makes you Abraham's family, children of the promise, children of God, those who are going to be saved on the last day, then what is it? It wasn't their physical bloodline, so what is it? Church, do you think that's an important question for us to ask? It wasn't their physical bloodline. Jesus says, we must be born again. It's not optional. We must be born again. We need a new bloodline to get into Abraham's family and to become the children of the promise, to become the children of God, to be the legitimate children of God. We must be born again. In order for you and I to be saved on the last day, and I hope that's why you're here today, because you want to be saved on the last day, then you must be born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus makes it very clear. Verse 3, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you believe him? I tell you the truth. Do you believe him? Because a lot of people, they really don't. Have you been born again? So I look around the room today and I'm talking to those maybe watching online. Let's just stop for a moment and ask a question. Have you been born again? Are you sure? Could you define what it means to be born again legitimately? 
Do you think you can see and enter the kingdom of God without being born again? What do you think that really means? What do you, what do you think that born again, if I were to poll the church today, if you have been born again? Yeah, what's it mean? I don't know. Does going to church mean that you've been born again? Well, I go to church. Does that mean you've been born again? I'm happy that Jesus didn't make that born again statement about salvation and then leave us guessing. He didn't leave us guessing. In John 3, verse 5, just a couple verses down, he says this. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit, here comes the power. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, when Jesus says, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. You, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's a God thing. How you can be born again of the Spirit. You can't see it. You might be able to see the fruit of it, but you can't see it happen. Born of the water, born of the Spirit. You must be born of the water. You must be born of the Spirit. Do you believe it? No one can enter the kingdom of God without these two. He defined it, not me, not the church. He defines it. Do you believe him? Humans can only reproduce Humans, and all humans have this same problem. We have a sin nature that leads to death, and we don't know how to take off the sin nature. We don't have the power to take off the sin nature. That's why we must be supernaturally born again by the power that is beyond us and that is above us. I can't take off this flesh. I can't do it. I can't take off this flesh, but something must occur that overpowers this flesh. My very nature must be overcome by something beyond me, above me, more powerful than me. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, the Apostle Paul writes, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, how we are now, our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies, which is what we're all wearing today, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. We cannot enter heaven in our flesh. Why? You ever just wonder why? Because our flesh is sinful. It's corrupted. That's why we must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Say it out loud. Born of the Spirit. Say it again. Born of the Spirit. That is what it means to be born again. The Israelites in the Old Testament tried to obey the law of God. They tried to find salvation through obedience to the law. 
but their flesh prevented them from obeying the laws of God. So what was it that kept the Israelites from obeying the 613 Jewish mitzvahs, Jewish laws, Jewish rules? What was it that kept them? Why don't you just obey all 613? You'll be in good shape. Why not? Because they couldn't. Why couldn't they? Their flesh. Can't. But what about now? Okay, that's a nice history lesson. But what about now? What about the church? What about you? In Romans 7, verse 6, Paul's writing to a Gentile church. He's writing to me. He's writing to you. But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and no longer held, no longer captive to its power. Now, we can serve God, not in the old way. What was the old way? That I could be made right with God by obeying 613 rules, but then I run against the brick wall, which is my flesh, and, and I can't do it. But now, we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of what? What's the new way? Living in the Spirit. In the Spirit. You, listen, no matter what you think about what I'm about to say next, you better find out what it is to live in the Spirit. You better figure it out. Living in the Spirit is to be born again into a new life. It is a new life with a new purpose and a new calling. It is to become a new creature. It is to become a new creation. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. It is to live in and of and by a power beyond outside of you, which happens to come inside of you. That's what it means. So I'll ask you, have you been born again? Do you, do you understand this description, this criteria? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Some English translations say a new creature. Some say a new creation. The old life, the old you is gone. The new life has begun. Born again means the first you is no longer here. The new you is here. And they can't operate side by side because that would make two of you and that's just wrong. So the old you has passed away and the new you under the authority of the Spirit has now come and lives with a new purpose, a new creation, a new power. Living in the Spirit means living in Christ. So I want you to put the two words synonymously beside each other. Living in the Spirit is living in Christ. I am in Him. So here comes, so when I say, have you been born again? I am in him and he is in me. I am in him. So we, we began the journey as two separate people. But when I was born again, the two became one. That's the bride of Christ and the two shall become one. I am in him and he is in me. We have become one. That's what it is to be born of the spirit. This gives me... Are you ready? This gives me the power to overcome the flesh. That doesn't mean I will always overcome the flesh, but I will always have the power to 
to overcome the flesh. Not, not because of me. I never had the power to overcome the flesh, but Christ in me. This is the only way, church. Here's the point of today's message. This is the only way to enter the kingdom of God through the Spirit of Christ living in me. It's the only way. It's not some way, a nice way, an optional way, the best way. It's the only way. Born again into a new life and putting aside the works of the flesh, and yes, it is a spiritual war. It's not easy. In Romans 8, chapter, verse 5, excuse me, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, that means you're still under the control of the flesh. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, that means that Christ has come inside of you. Think about things that please the Spirit. It's a totally new way of looking at life. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Say it out loud. It leads to death, and you don't want to die, right? Letting the sinful nature control your life, living under the authority of the flesh. You're going to die. You're not going to heaven. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile toward God. There's that spiritual war. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature will never please God. You can't. That's why Romans 8, excuse me, that was Romans 8. And we began with Romans 9 today in the revelation that not all Israel is Israel. Now, with all of that background, I can now, I needed to do that to tell you what I really want to tell you today. Here we go. Romans 9 verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. This is Paul writing a Gentile church, okay? That's us. With Christ as my witness, I now speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Why is Paul so tore up? My heart is filled with bitter sorrow, unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Oh, Paul's a Jew, and he's tore up about his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? I would be willing to be forever cursed. Ooh, that's a deep one. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. What's he saying? He knows. He knows many of them are lost. They, the Jewish people, they are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed His glory to them. He made covenants with them, and he, he gave them the law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping Him and receiving His wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ Himself was an Israelite as far as His human nature is concerned. And He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Not all. You think Paul didn't know? That's why he's tore up. Not all 
Can you hear his bitter sorrow in those words? Not all are going to make it. Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. They are Paul's Jewish brothers and sisters. Israel, the people called by God through which he would reveal his glory, through which he would reveal his word. But not all are going to make it. Israel, the people that God entered into a covenant with. Israel, the people that God gave the law of Moses to. Israel, the people that God gave the privilege of worshiping and knowing him. Israel, the people who received the wonderful promises of God in supernatural ways. And yet in the middle of all of that, you know what Paul knows? Because you're going to know it too. In the middle of all of that, not all will be saved. That's why that verse shook me. That's why that verse shakes me, even now. Not all Israel is Israel. Does that get your attention? It does me, because the very next verse in Romans 9 is this. This is the next verse. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't, doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical, physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only. Or is it not all? Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children, right? So let, let's get this part before we move on. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son and that would be Isaac and that would be Jacob and there we would go. If God said not all to Israel, what do you think he would say to the church? Huh? If God said not all to Israel, what do you think he would say to the church? Maybe I should reword the question. What was it that made Israel Israel? What was it that made them the children of the promise? That's what we ought to find out. What is, so, so what is it that makes the church the church? This would be an urgent question that requires, requires an urgent truth. Because what? This is life and death. This is this. This is this. What is it that makes the church the church? This is this. What made Israel Israel? And what makes the church the church? Listen carefully. Listen really carefully. Israel will be saved. Those who are truly Israel will be saved. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, let me come to the New Testament. The church 
will be saved. Those who are truly the church will be saved. Do, do you, are you getting it? You see, there is a real Israel and there is a real church. There are those who are really children of the promise, Israel, Jewish, and they're going to be saved. And there is the real church. Now, let there be no doubt that the church of Jesus Christ will receive salvation. But not everyone, not all Israel is Israel, and not all who claim to be in the church are the church. You see, it's not about your physical genealogy or your works or your adherence to the laws of God. None of those will ever be enough to make you right with God. That's not what made Israel Israel, and that's not what will make the church the church. So what is it that makes the church the church? And what is it that not all will have on the last day? I'm going to ask the question again. So what is it that makes Israel Israel? And what is it that makes the church the church? And what is it that not all will have on the last day? What is it? I'll answer that question with a question to make it interesting. What have I been reading from today? What have I been reading from? This. Okay, let's just be clear. Where, where's this material coming from today? This. So let me ask you each a question, just, just in the story so far. How did you know about Israel? And how did you know about Abraham? And how did you know about Isaac and Jacob? And how did you know anything about being born again of the water and born again of the Spirit and the kingdom of God and Jesus and not all? How did you know any of that? How did you know about any of that that we've been looking at so far today? What is it that not all will believe? Let me say it again. What is it that not all will believe and not all will accept as truth? What is it? What separates the, the not alls? What is it that they will not believe and they will not accept as truth? What is it that will separate the saved and the lost? Will it be the water? Will it be the spirit? Is it even possible to know about the water and the spirit apart from the word? How would you even know about the water and the spirit without the word? How would you know? Yes, the answer to everything is Jesus. That's easy. But let there be no mistake here. Jesus is the only way anybody's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I'm going to ask you a practical question. How in the world would you know that apart from the word? How did you know about Abraham and this covenant between God and man that would produce eternal children of God? What is it that not all will believe and not all will accept his truth? This. The more I study, the more I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life, the more the truth becomes this simple. What is it that not all will receive and not all will believe? What is it? This. 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 The Word. So I want to read Romans 9, verse 6 again. I'm going to read it again. 
Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. Go back, go back. Oh, you moved it about the time I got here. For the scriptures, next one, next one, next one. Come on. <sighs> For the scriptures, I was too slow. For the scriptures, why does he put that in there? What's he drawing as the foundation of the truth? The foundation of it all. For the scriptures say, where's the authority? Where's God speaking and communicating that not all? And what is it not that not all will believe and not all will receive? For the scriptures say, what? Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, this is how we know about not all. For the scriptures say, do you understand what that is saying in that verse? It is holding up the absolute authority of Scripture. So here's an example. Let me give you an example of trying to communicate the authority of Scripture. The Scriptures reveal that King David was a man after God's own heart. All right? So hopefully you've, you've been in Sunday school class, you've been in a Bible study, and it's always clear that, that King David, what made King David special to God is that he was a man that was in the pursuit, the constant pursuit of God's heart. God's heart, and, and not only was he in the pursuit of God's heart, he was willing to do anything that the Word of God was revealed to him. This was how God measured faith. God measured faith by someone pursuing God's Word and receiving God's Word and obeying God's Word. You hear it, you believe it, you receive it, you obey it. God measures faith with that circle. And David was a man of faith. Abraham's a man of faith. And, and because of that, because of that, this is what King David wrote. And it should convict every person here today. This, this is King David, okay? It, he, he's, a, he's a messianic preview of, of the future king of kings, Jesus, okay? And here's what he writes in Psalms 19.7. He says this, the instructions of the Lord, I'm going to hold it up as I read it. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Did you get a copy of the instructions? They're perfect and they revive the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. This right here, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It brings joy to the heart. It gives insight for living. It's pure. It lasts. Eternal. True. Fair. 
So here we go. You knew this was coming. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And this is what not all will believe and not all will receive. This is it. This is it. This book doesn't save you. This book doesn't save you. It reveals the one that saves you. It is supernatural. And the reason it's supernatural is it's more than words on the page. The word became flesh. It's a supernatural encounter with God. And not all will believe it and not all will receive it. And therein is the dividing line of all humanity. Not all. Do you know why I make such a big deal out of this today? Because of those two words. Not all. It shook me. It still shakes me. And if the Apostle Paul was in anguish because he had brothers and sisters that he knew, he knew by the Spirit, he knew they're not going to make it. And I today, I know there are people that come to this church that they're not going to make it. Unless somebody tells them the truth and they receive the truth. Not all will enter the kingdom of heaven. If not all applied to blessed Israel. Listen church. If not all, those two words, if that scene applies, and it clearly does, to blessed Israel. Do you think it would also apply to the church? This is Paul's writing to the mainly Gentile church in Corinth. I'm about to read it to you. And I'm going to give you four examples. I'm going to do it quickly. I'm going to give you four examples of this issue about if not all applies to the Jewish people, then do you think not all applies to the church age people who call themselves Christians? So here we go. Here's example number one, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Who are we talking about? Israel. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground, in the cloud and in the sea. All of them were baptized as the followers of Moses. All of them, are you getting the point? All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. And yet God was not pleased with what? Most of them. There's a whole lot of all of them. And then he follows it with most of them. God was not pleased with most of them. What do you do? And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us. Who's he writing this to? The church. These things happened as a warning to us. Do you get the warning? I do. I get it. I do. That's why that verse shakes me. These things are written as a warning to us so that we would not do what they did. We would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, here comes the authority again, as the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test 
as some of them did, and they died from snake bites. And don't grumble if some of them did. If grumbling were the standard, I wonder what our attendance would be today. And don't grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as what? As examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So here comes the question. I'm going to give you three more examples. Do you think everybody who calls themselves a Christian is going to go to heaven? Do you think everybody who attends church is going to go to heaven? Not all. Number two. Here's a second example. Hebrews 12, 25. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape, if Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, their earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. The word became flesh. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping with holy fear and all for our God is a devouring fire do you think everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to be in heaven not all third example Hebrews 3:15. remember what it says today when you hear his voice don't harden your heart as Israel did don't do what they did today when you hear his voice don't harden your heart as Israel did when they rebelled and who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard the voice, they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses were left in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they will never enter his rest? Who's he talking to? Pagans? He's talking to Israel. Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, he's talking about Israel, they were not able to enter his rest. So I'm going to ask you, do you think everybody who calls themselves a Christian is going to go to heaven? Last one, number, number four, Hebrews 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. That's why I wrote the sermon. God's promise. Next week's going to be, it's not too late. Well, it's not too late today. I don't know about next week. Maybe we won't be here next week. Some of you ought to tremble with fear that you're not going to make it. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, just as Israel. He told them, he told us. 
But it did them no good. Why? Church, listen. Why did it not do them any good? Because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. It became a head knowledge without a heart application. For only those, for only we who believe can enter his rest. Believe what? Only those who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said in his anger, I took an oath. They will never, never, never enter my rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Believe one. So here's my closing. There was an apostasy that destroyed Israel. It is still here in the church. There was something that destroyed Israel, causing them to not enter his rest, his promised rest. It's here. It's still here. You know what it is? They refused to believe the word of God. It's called faith. It's not just hearing the word. It's receiving the word, believing the word, and applying the word individually in your life. Living under the power of the Spirit. I've been reading it all morning to you. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe this? Because here we go. Could this be more clear? Jesus in Matthew 7, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's he talking to? Not, you know who says, Lord, Lord? Do pagans say, Lord, Lord? No. So who are they? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Is that hard to understand? No, but it's hard to do. It's a hard truth. I get it. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many. I wish he didn't put the word many in there. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Not everyone, not all, many will say. So I'm going to ask you, who do you think he's talking to? The Apostle Paul clearly describes an apostasy. The word apostasy is a description of a, a great falling away from. The Apostle Paul clearly describes a great falling away from God and His Word that will occur before the church is taken away and the Antichrist is revealed. The Apostle Paul describes that before Jesus comes, there will be a heightened apostasy, a heightened falling away from God and God's Word. It's a, it's a direct description of the status of the church before the return of Christ. They will abandon the very thing that could have revealed the salvation to them, the Word of God. Let me give you an example. 
I got a message from a friend this past week. Um, I'll be discreet in describing it. This particular person is a leader in the church, and the church is somewhere not here. The church is somewhere far farther away from here, and the church is battling with this, with this. Let's just call it this. They took a vote of the elders, and he got outvoted, and the elders decided to take a stance against biblical truth on a certain issue. And the reason why they so chose that was this, that culturally inside the church, it was going to be too difficult to hold to this. It's called apostasy. It's called an apostasy. And what's concerning about that is that the apostle Paul told us that the apostasy will come before Jesus comes for his bride. There will be a great falling away. Not all will be taken when he comes for his bride. Are you listening? See, Paul says in his letter to the church at Thessalonica that there will be a series of events that will take place as he gets close to the return of Christ. One of the, the telltale signs would be the church will abandon the truth. I gave you an example of that happen. And, and what follows that is Jesus comes for his bride and then the Antichrist is released upon the earth during the Great Tribulation. And here's my point. Not all will be taken when he comes for his bride. In fact, Jesus' parable of the tens, ten bridesmaids, the ten virgins, is a perfect example of what happens when the bridegroom comes and five of the ten, five of the ten did not have oil in their lamps. And the oil in the lamp is representative of the Holy Spirit born again heart of a believer. It's too late once the bridegroom comes for you to rush out and get oil in your lamp. It's too late. The door will close. So I close today with King David's perspective of the Word of God and ask you each one a question. Is this your perspective today? Is it? Be honest with yourself. The Word of God convicts us. Psalms 19. I'm going to read it again. The instruction of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The, commandments of, the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever, and the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. The Word of God has been revealed. The truth of God has been revealed today. And not all who call themselves Christians will enter the kingdom. Not all. The Word of God has revealed the covenant of God with Abraham that will bring the children of the promise into the kingdom of God. The Word of God has revealed our need to be born again by the water and the Spirit so that we might live by the power of the Spirit and overcome the power of the flesh. The Word of God today has revealed Jesus, for it is only by faith in Him that any of us will make peace with God and receive forgiveness of our sins in His name and by His blood. And the Word became flesh. And I ask you, do you know Him? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. And the Word today reveals His glory and His truth. The glory of the Father 
revealed through Christ the Son who came to the earth. The Spirit of Christ came to us, comes to us even today. Even today, the Spirit of God comes to us today to reveal His grace and mercy and truth. And here's the final word today from the authority of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 2. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Or we may drift away from it. We become the apostasy individually or as the body. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think, church, right now today, what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus Himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Next week, we're going to focus on the topic of, is it ever too late? It's a great question. So I'm asking you today, is there oil in your lamp? There is an apostasy taking hold in our land. Churches after churches after churches are falling away from the very source of truth itself, which is a sign of the soon return of Christ. Who knows when he'll come? But let's just hypothetically say he's, the bridegroom is about to come for his bride. The real church will be saved. Real Israel will be saved. And what makes the real church and real Israel saved is that they are legitimately the children of God. Calling yourself a child of God does not make you a child of God. It's when He calls you His child. And He calls you His child when His Son takes residence in your heart. Do you have oil in your lamp? Yes or no? We offer an invitation today. It's not my invitation. It's not the church's invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus Christ for you to get real in your faith. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. These are desperate times, urgent times, for not all will enter the kingdom. Only those who have been born by the Spirit, born of the water and the Spirit. So, Father, move among us today in truth and power and authority in Jesus' name. And amen. Let's stand. The invitation is over.